Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. Dave. Hey. And Tori. Hello, Internet. You sound so surprised, Dave. And we start each week with good thing. Craig, why don't you go first? So, uh, shout-outs to this, uh, I guess, company, this game dev called Zachtronics. I was uh, talking to Dave not too long ago about Space Chem, uh, which is one of the, the first, like, big games that they release. Uh, their, their first big game that they actually release is Infiniminer, which you know as the uh, prequel. It's not really a prequel. It's, it's the code base that became Minecraft. So the guy who originally made the block-based building game sold it off to Notch. He made it into Minecraft. But we're not talking about Minecraft, which is another good thing. Um, Zachtronics goes on to make puzzle games. Uh, typically coding-based puzzle games. So you might have heard of Space Chem, which is a, a neat chemistry-based puzzle game where you're putting together atoms and stuff to make molecules and doing stuff with said molecules. Um, but like I said, programming-based games, uh, TIS 100 is a little-known game. I've been playing Sengen IO, which is sort of like TIS mixed with Space Chem. Um, they've done Infinifactory, which is a 3D puzzle game that's sort of like, I guess, Space Chem. Point is, they make a lot of cool puzzle games, a lot of fun. Uh, they're basically on my I-will-buy-the-game-no-matter-what list because they're, they're pretty fun. And I like programming because I'm a programmer. So, yay. Although, Dave likes You like doing work for fun. That's right. Neat. Um, oh, right. oh, oh, and Space Chem's music is really good. Even though it's like one song, it's also really good. Didn't I play on Rainwave yes, while I was streaming what, the other day? <laughs> that's what we were talking about. I'm like, oh man, you know what? They make some good things. And I've been playing, like I said, Senjin Iho. All right. Uh, so you're you're like a systems, like an embedded engine, uh, an embedded systems engineer, and it's like really cool because you're just designing these simple little systems. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Are you actually done this time? Yes. Are you sure? Yep. So if I try to pass it to Dave, you're not going to keep going for another minute. So then... No. <laughs> I will murder you. I will murder you in the face with a murder. That's in recording. We have that. I will murder you to death. So if anything happens to you, we're going to know. Yep. All right, Dave. What's your good thing this week? I'm waiting to see if Craig is done. <laughs> no, that's so bad. <laughs> My good thing this week is a band from my hometown of Philadelphia, a band called Lotus. And they're really cool. They they have some instrumental stuff, some vocal stuff. I actually tend to like their instrumental stuff better. And their drummer is phenomenal. I think he's probably the most talented guy in the band. And they have an album... I don't know, it's probably within like the last five years or something. The the album is called Gilded Age, and the title track is really good, and there are some real gems on there. 
and I would recommend everyone to check them out. Like if you, I'm guessing that the people that listen to this show are, are kind of nerds and I usually talk about video game music, but if you're into, you know, any kind of instrumental stuff, then at least check out their non-vocal songs. They're really good. All right. Uh, my good thing this week is another podcast. Uh, this one is the Cohen Brothers Brothers, which is by uh, Michael Swaim and Abe Epperson, formerly of Cracked.com, yeah. uh, where they watch ah. a Cohen Brothers film. Uh, it's They release an episode about once a month. It's part of like a larger podcast network called Small Beans, which like that releases Toe I don't beans. know, like one or two episodes of various things a week, but. Um, anyway, yeah, Coen Brothers Brothers, like, they've started at the, the beginning of, of their filmography, and at the point, at, right now in recording, they have, the latest episode was Intolerable Cruelty, which I have never seen and probably won't bother, um, but yeah, the, they did, they did one episode out of order, which was, uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Because it had recently gotten released, and they did like a crossover episode with a different podcast, and it was a whole thing. Um, but yeah, they they do they do a, a good, cool review thing. Coen Brothers Brothers, good stuff. Enjoy, Tori. My good thing is really lame, and it's really adult of me, and nobody is going to care about this except me. Build a room this week. And now I actually like this room. You you, you did what? I I gave it a makeover, I, like complete paint job and new curtains and rearranged the furniture and I hung art on the walls. And uh, man, this yeah. sounds really adult. You played The Sims so, IRL, <laughs> basically. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I did. Uh, so backstory. Going to care about except me. When my husband and I bought this house, like the first time we saw this house and we're on the house tour, there was a room upstairs that was red. We said, that cannot stay. That's that's terrible. That's awful. We liked the rest of the house, though. So that was the house that we bought with the ugly red room. It was terrible. And then three weeks after we bought the house and we had to renovate the entire downstairs because of flood damage. And we did all the work ourselves so that we could save money and and buy cool stuff with the money. Like, we replaced the old wooden floor with more expensive tile, and we were able to buy really good quality carpet because we did some of the work ourselves. And so we did all the painting and all the trim ourselves and it was terrible. And at the end of that six-month ordeal, I never wanted to see another paintbrush. So the room that was upstairs that was red remained red. And it has been three and a half years. And so I finally one day decided, you know what? I hate it. I'm I'm doing it now. And done, you guys. No more red room. And I feel so good about it. So, So what you're saying is this time... It wasn't so bad, the painting and everything. Right. Uh, so is your good thing, like, home improvement or just this yeah. room? Just this one room. <laughs> the rest of the house needs more improvements. But, yeah, this room is good. I'm sitting in it right now. Nice. 
All right, Dave, you read some chapters this week. If I recall, you read them almost immediately after we finished recording last week. Yeah, I had a slow day at work, so I managed to get all the reading done on Monday. So I had to do a little bit of re-remember angering. So uh, I got my, my bullet points. I think I'm good. So let's let's hear them. Chapter. Hold on. Hold on. I actually have to update the chapter list on the stream. What chapters did we read? 45 through 48. Excellent. Up to the end of part four. Go on. Chapter 45. Sazed and Tindwell's caffeine mines are running low. Sazed <laughs> and Tindwell. <laughs> argue. <laughs> SNT. Argue over which is cooler, history or theology. A chunk is missing from the rubbing. Elendi must not reach the well of ascension. He must not be allowed to take the power for himself. Riffling is the new maladroitly. Finn wishes to talk to Sazed privately. Chandra? About Terrace and the well of ascension? Oh. Ellen wants to talk to Sazed privately. Lamal. <laughs> the fate of the final empire rests on Ellen and Vin making their relationship work. Alright, so chapter 45 stays it in Tindwell, still studying over the logbook and the rubbing, and their caffeine mines are running low, and they're, they, you know, they're gonna have to finish up whatever it is that they're trying to find out, and, uh, you know, Sazed is this, is the religion teacher, and Tindwell's the history teacher, so kinda get a little snippy with each other about which one's cooler, and yeah. as, as they're arguing, they find that a chunk is missing from the rubbing and every single copy that they have of the rubbing and the, the page is torn off in the exact same shape, which is highly unlikely even if someone were to stack them up and rip them all together. So what is going on with that? But uh, Seiza does remember what the that portion of the rubbing said. It said, a lady must not reach the well of ascension, must not be allowed to take the power for himself. What? Uh, what's up with that? Pretty curious. And I also noticed that as uh, uh, Sanderson really, I think he used the word riffling twice in this chapter, and he used it before. And fun fact, I actually thought the word was rifling until I read this book, and then I looked it up, and it turns out I was wrong. It was riffling all along. You've been schooled. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. But at least <laughs> I know what gilded means. I'm pretty oh. sure they're is also a word rifling that has a separate meaning, but yeah. But usually when I'm thinking of the word rifling, I'm thinking of the word riffling. I don't know, let's look it up. The arrangement of spiral grooves on the inside of a rifle barrel. Make spiral go. grooves in to make a bullet spin. Thereby have greater accuracy over a long hit, throw, or kick. So, about this. Search through something in a hurried way. Uh, it's the same word, but it's rifle. So maybe they one. actually just carve spirals on the papers. <laughs> maybe. No, but they weren't rifling papers. They were riffling. Through. So I guess riffling and rifling are the same. I didn't look at rifling two. Only rifling one. I'm going to blame my mobile browser because that's what I was using at the time I looked it up. So as they are... Rifling maladroitly through their riffle sniffles, Vin walks in, or 
hops in at the window, I guess, as she usually does, and she wants to talk to Seizid privately, and Tintwill's like, <laughs> fine. And, yeah, I I perked up. I was like, oh, Vin had just talked to Ellen about how she wants to go north and check out the Well of Ascension, and she's learning new stuff about the Chondra. Maybe she wants to tell him about the Chondra spy, or, and then she's like, how do you know when you're in love? And, you know, Vin is, for some gosh-awful reason, uh, kind of distracted by Zane at this point and isn't really 100% sure that she wants to be with Ellen. So she wants to be sure, and she has, says it about it, and, you know, says it, uh, you know, I think it assures her that just because you're different from somebody doesn't mean that you're not meant to be with that person. It, he tells her the importance of how two people can complement each other. And then she leaves, and then Ellen, <laughs> and uh, Tindwell comes back in, and then Ellen shows up, and you now he wants to kick Tindwell out so he can talk to Caesar privately, obviously, about <laughs> how he's in love with Vin. This is and such a really sitcom sure. moment. Like, it's this is pretty like, funny. <laughs> uh, although I do like how Ellen makes Tindwell leave. Like, you can just see the difference. And and how he is now and how he holds himself with how she he trained him too well. She, she did. <laughs> Go on. So Caesar is like, oh, don't don't worry, young venture. She'll come around. And you know he leaves, and Caesar's thinking, uh, you know, the fate of the final empire rests on Ellen and Vin getting together. Like they need each other in order to save the world. So he is. Going to cook up a plan to get these two crazy kids to finally admit their true feelings to one another. And there's also a mention about how the hero of ages in the old terrorist prophecies it uses a gender neutral pronoun. And I wonder if it could actually be number neutral. That is, could it be singular or plural? You know, I don't know how different languages might work, but maybe the pronoun could refer to a couple or could refer to a group of people or a type of person. I don't know. Gee, I wonder what couple we can think about. <laughs> well, that Zane, would work. Clearly Zane and Ben. You're not going to scare me with that. I've read this week's chapter. <laughs> okay, okay. I won't jump ahead. Continue. So, Tori, what do you think? You're the linguist of the group. Yeah, uh, linguistically, it could work. Um, for example, when we say the word you, we could be referring to a singular you or a whole group of you, unless you're from the South and then the plural is y'all. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. Technically, uh, in the North, good. it's you guys. So, yes, your theory does have some merit. Well, there's y'all. There's all y'all. There's also some camps that are okay with using the word they to refer to a singular person. Yes. Th there you mean are the English that... language for like 400 years? Yeah. Oh, I won't speak to that. I haven't been around that long. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a solid precedent. Just you can look it up or you can take my word. Doesn't matter. Well, the English language has been around for more than 400 years. I think. Actually, I don't know that for well, codified and written, uh, we kind of just go back to Shakespeare. Yeah, the modern incarnation of the written language is Shakespeare. Before that, we're getting like Middle English. Well, actually, you could do Chaucer. That's 
sort of was the transition into modern English. So what you're saying is I should watch A Knight's Tale and see if they use they. <laughs> yes, yes. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You'll it's, learn everything there. And it's the best sports movie, as previously established. <laughs> yeah. They play yeah. We Will Rock You. I mean, that is a sports movie. It's better than Facing the Giants. Facing your Giants or whatever it's called. Little Giants? No. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you can't even count that in the survey. It's too, too unbalanced. A little. The, the movie about the Philadelphia Eagles player who's. So the, it was the just Mark like some guy. One that recently came out? No, it's Invincible. Yeah, I think Invincible. Is, I think I am talking about Invincible. Okay. About what the guy is with the going on in your brain? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> What's facing the giant? Nothing. <laughs> facing your giant. <laughs> Revenge of the Titans? <laughs> Remember the Titans? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing right now? This is nothing. I don't know. Let's talk we about are, we are... We're talking about pronouns. <laughs> That's true. Clearly. Come on, we're Mike. Talking about talking them, about and we're talking about it, and and we are talking about it. I mean, there's chapter 45 for you. All the pronoun <laughs> talk. Hopefully she and he become the... Chapter 45. Chapter 45. No, oh, dude, it's Attack on Colas. Attack on Colas. <laughs> well, oh. Lufidel does have a wall. <laughs> so if... Valellan leaves. Does that make them the vanguard? They hired Aaron Yeager for me. All right, chapter forty-six. Any questions about chapter forty-five? I don't know if we wrapped that up sufficiently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, it's it's interesting how both Vin and Ellen turn to Sazed. I mean, I totally would turn to Sazed as well. For oh yeah. Advice, but I mean, he is somewhat lacking the life experience like he he it comes from knowledge he's a knowledgeable sort although he well, also he's observed has relationship couples experience. what yeah, yeah, he's, he's observed, observed couples so right i don't Sanderson think he's a bad has said that says it is the one that he would turn to like yeah, i don't, I don't think that's, record, that's a like, bad thing i find it funny says it is the advice guy with. yeah and and he said says it so yeah, so it's it's a it's a neat little thing. Okay. Um, of, and honestly, of the, Vin, of the members of the crew, thing. um, who are you going to turn to if you need advice? You're not going to go to Breeze. No one wants advice from Breeze. You're not going to yes. go to Ham because he's just going to get into a philosophical discussion and not actually answer you. Spook I might go to Ham. I might go to Ham. You're not going to Spook. Elland has the problem. He can't go to himself. Uh, Docs is busy. Just and Docs has no time for your nonsense. By the way, also Docs hates Ellen. Still give good advice. Uh, so true. who's left is I, Spook, not Spook. Says it. No club. <laughs> no club. Spook. What what advice would Spook give right now? That's wasn't the- a wizard, and uh, I have a crush on what's her face. What's her uh, face? He hasn't really. Uh, he isn't really like. He hasn't really been ogling her as much since he's gotten around to other like on all their scouting duties. I'm sure he's, he's checked got out other some other women. Yeah, that's what I, I assume that he's he's uh, flirted with some other girls abroad while he was on scouting missions, giving out those handkerchiefs. 
<laughs> Spooky handkerchiefs. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I do want to point out that I think Vin's issue is not that she wants to be with Ellen, because she does love Ellen, but she doesn't think she's right for Ellen. That's, like, her major hang Right. And, yeah, she is, yeah. and she does have feelings, like, she's getting a little something for Zane, because... Dark and Brody and like man, so Brody, dark and Grody. (laughs) Yes, those (laughs) Converse sneakers. Oh, so good. Uh, Did you post the picture in chat last week? Oh, did I not link it in chat? Should link it in chat. Link my fan art. Well, there's no one in our chat right now, so Uh, people watch the pod. Sure, Mike. I think Michael. Mike will. Release it onto Tinder or Twitter Tinder. when they <laughs> when the episode Light comes right. out. Tinder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I would. D- nobody swipe right, Zane. Please. <laughs> would you swipe right, Zane? Oh, what is God. going on this episode? <laughs> I have to delete all of this. No, you don't. This is gold. <laughs> all right, everyone, ready for chapter forty-six? It's settled. Sazed gives the best advice. Okay, chapter 46. The two are not the same. Breeze is a secret, dirty, full-blood noble. Sazed, secret meeting. Dox arrives and advocates for Penrod. Dox and Ham argue. Breeze soothes Ham and Dot. Or does he? Streff will not attack as long as Vin is in the city. Womp, womp. Vin, Ellen, Tindwell, and Spook will leave the city. Breeze wants Alrion to escape, too. Alright, well, it's a little, little break in there. So, Sazed is trying to get... Sazed, you know, actually legitimately believes that Vin is the heroine of ages, and he believes that she and Ellen need to work together and uh, improve each other to save the world so he has this secret meeting and he is not coy about it at all everyone's like what's up with this secret rebel not inviting ellen to meeting why are you have guards posted why are you drawing so much attention to this secret meeting and this is actually written from breeze's perspective and talks about how he was a secret dirty full-blood noble so he knows knows a little bit about court intrigue yeah, he's a pretty smart guy. Good old Lord Ladrian. Oh yeah, he has a real name. That I think says it actually says it actually calls him by his real name. And even does so in this chapter, but Yeah, so Sazed knows the the truth. Guess the truth. He doesn't really tell the crew, so You mean Breeze? Yeah. You said Sazed. So anyway, Zazed calls him Lord Ladrian. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, during this meeting, Dox is basically like, "Hey, let's just uh, let Penrod be in charge and let him hand everything over to Straff, and this is the safest option." And Dox and Ham start arguing, and Bree sues Ham and Dox. And at this point in my reading, I'm still suspicious that Dox is Condra, so I'm not taking it at face value. And Breeze thinks that he sues uh, Dox because he could be soothing Ham, and Dox could be picking up on that. And and earlier when I had been suspecting Tindwell as the Condra, you know, I thought that maybe she was pretending to be soothed too. So you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this little Condra nonsense, Condra nonsense. And so, 
They talk about how Straff won't attack the city as long as Vin is in the city. <laughs> and everybody's just c- kind of arguing with each other. And Seiza's trying to finally get to his point. His point being that he wants to get Vin out of the city. And everyone's like, oh, Straff won't attack while Vin's in. So I think that's funny. And then eventually they get to the point and they decide that Vin and Ellen, as well as Tindwell, who has to carry the rubbing and news back up to their homeland and terrace. And they also need Spook. They need a talented spy. They're all going to go and leave the city together. And I think there's uh, some pretty funny dramatic irony here because they're sitting here having a discussion about how they're going to convince Vin to leave the city and head toward the Well of Ascension. Whereas Vin has already been thinking about it and is already planning to do so. So I thought that's kind of funny. Really, it's Ellen who is the one that they're going to have to believe. And it's dramatic irony because we as the readers know where the other characters are in their attitudes toward what needs to happen next. And it doesn't match up with what these characters are thinking those guys are thinking. And, you know, in all of this, Breeze also wants to talk them into sending Alrianne with them because he, I guess, sort of legitimately kind of cares about her and wants to keep her safe. Aww. No. Aww. Right. Next part of chapter 46. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh. All right. Uh, I do have to say I, I like this this chapter, this, this perspective from Breeze, like really seeing how he operates with the other members of the crew. Like people can be arguing stuff, He's still gonna soothe them. He's still gonna bolster certain things because that's just what he does. Yeah, it's kind of reflexive for him. And this is the second time we get a chapter from Breeze's perspective and kind of see how he operates like that. And it's pretty cool. You know, throughout all of Mistborn and the first half of this book, it's like, oh, Breeze is just really selfish and is always trying to manipulate people. But then, you know, when you get to know the guy, he's trying to manipulate people for good. And he blames Kelsier for that. <laughs> right. I mean, um, Kelsier, I like- stocked, Kelsier stocked his crew with good men. He did. And yeah. he knew that Breeze was a good man, regardless of what Breeze himself said. <laughs> and it, it's nice to have these uh, chapters as well from Breeze's perspective, because Vin doesn't focus that much on emotional uh, elements. Like, you have a couple times where she did it against, like, Straff. But yeah. in typical, like, typical fashion she doesn't use it very much i feel like it could be a real useful tool like when she's in combat like she talks about fighting haze killers and stuff like that and and, like the first book and everything it's like you can blast and destroy their emotions and really mess with them in mid-combat which is a distraction yeah yeah um so it's it's nice to have the the perspective so you can sort of get a feel for like how soothing is working. This also gives us some insight into how very, very bad Sazed is at being sneaky. Yeah, that's, mm, I thought that was really funny. He doesn't know how to have a secret like, meeting. Hey, guys, don't let anybody into our secret meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Big neon sign with an arrow, secret meeting here. <laughs> Using his his bardic music to bolster someone's move silently check. Yes. Oh man, what's his name? Rich Burlu, Ellen, or not Ellen? Yeah, I Elan. know. I say Ellen as well. Ellen. Ellen. Basically, <laughs> Ellen. I think Mike brought up Order of the Stick as a good thing, and uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next chapter. 
Uh, we're still on chapter 46. We have a couple parts here. So in the next part, Vin visits Credit Shaw. Vin does some thinking. This would be a good time to burn gold. So she just goes back to Credit <laughs> Shaw and reflects on her good old days fighting the Lord Ruler. And gosh dang it, dude. I, I thought this would have been a great time to reintroduce gold because a lot of what she's thinking about is should I go with Zane or should I go with Ellen? And you can you know, actually see uh, gold. Can, yeah, if she burns gold, she can actually see different outcomes based on different decisions you would make. And I don't know, it's kind of a long shot, but maybe she would see what it would be like with Zane versus Ellen if she burnt gold here. I don't know. Maybe I don't quite understand how gold works. I don't think gold shows that far into the future. I think gold more shows the present. It shows the present based on what decisions no, you no, would no. have. Or gold is your future? past self, not your future. No, gold is what your present self would have been had you made different choices in the past. Yes, yes. But, but yeah, she could still see if I had committed to Ellen earlier. I don't know. But I think it hinges sure on like the most important decisions, and I'm not sure right, that Zane and Ellen get two, count for that. You only, you only get two gold echoes. You don't get a bajillion. It's not like a, it's not like a sixteenium battle. Sixteenium. Alright, so the next part of chapter 46, Zane. That's all I got. There's no, all, that's, they, that's all you wrote. It was, it was the first word of the section, I just skipped over it. Read it. Oh no. <laughs> so anyway, Zane wakes up in his camp uh, to some assassins trying to kill him. And he's actually uh, pretty clever. Has a guy outside of his tent who alerts him to intruders by pounding on the tent peg in a certain rhythm. So, you know, oh, if I hear this specific rhythm, I know that danger is coming. So he actually sleeps with metals in his stomach, which could kill him someday. But in his mind, dying someday is better than dying today. Uh, so we'll see how that works out for him. But anyway, he survives. <laughs> the, uh, he survives the attack from the assassins, obviously sent by his father. And he goes and charges down to his father and says, you know, uh, Vin is leaving with me tonight. You can go ahead and wait out the Colossus and then take the city in the ensuing chaos, and you can be the savior of Luthadel. And it's eerily similar to the conversation that they actually had in Sezed's secret meeting. So was Zane spy at Sezed's meeting, or was Straff's next move just so obvious that Zane just knew? Is Zane Heart Steel Inquisitor? This is actually kind of interesting. There's a the, a whole couple chap or a couple paragraphs or a paragraph whatever. There's a part that explains how Zane has a spike in his chest, which sounded kind of like Steel Inquisity a little bit. And he doesn't have the eyeball spikes, obviously, but uh, we remember the Steel Inquisitors have multiple spikes. I, I think including one through their chest, so maybe. He started becoming a Steel Inquisitor and got kicked out for being too mopey or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, he has a spike in his chest, and we don't find out why it, right now. <laughs> I don't know. We don't find out in part four at all, at least. Okay. 
And I also wrote, could Zane and Ellen be the same person? Which I thought was extraordinarily unlikely, but have I wrote it down. Have seen them at the same place? I'm pretty sure we have seen them in the same place, actually. I'm pretty sure but, we talked to each but other. But this, this is a world where we have magic medals, and including a few that, that you know, in in my thinking, there have to be some power of two medals. And right now we've got, what, 14? 14 or 15. So there have to be at least 16 medals. So there's st- stuff we don't know. And maybe you can be in two places at once or travel through time. I don't know. But, eh, whatever. We don't know. But anyway, I thought that was a long shot anyway. And I that gets debunked pretty quickly and before part four finishes. Well, or does it? Because the whole time travel. Anyway, pro- it's probably not a thing. Alright, any questions about chapter 46? Um... Is there a story that exists that isn't made more interesting with time travel added in? <laughs> That's quite a question. Rabbit seasoning. For instance, what? Back to the Future, with more time travel. What? <laughs> I'd watch it. Future to the Future. Alright, I think I think we need the we need ample time for chapter forty seven, so Yeah. Let's you, right, you know let's what go. we're waiting for, Dave. Chapter you know forty seven. Alright. Chapter 47, start off by reading my bullet points. Finn talks with Ursur on her balcony, lamenting that she will have to make a decision. Finn climbs into her room to find the mist blanketing the floor. And guess what? No pizza. Ursur (laughs) is revealed to be a Chandra. Rant about the fight with Zane. Zane's not crazy. The voice in his head says so. Zane dies and his conjurer goes home for reassignment. Alright, chapter 48. Ellen and Vin get married and they live happily whoa, whoa, ever after. Whoa, 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 whoa. We'll get no. to it. No. I want to, I, I want to save it. I want to finish up chapter 48 and we'll go, we'll go back to the ominous bullet point about ranting. We don't do that. Why Wait, not? No. If the, he's going to rant, I kind of want to hear the bullet points for 48 first because otherwise right. he's not going to There's go only back. two. There's right. only two. Alright. It's pretty forty chapter forty eight is pretty quick. Ellen and Vin get married and they live happily ever after. The end of part four. Sazed says, I know you two just got married, but try to get some rest tonight. Wink fade out. <laughs> okay. So I mentioned something about a, a rant with, about this fight with Zane. You did and, promise us a rant. Alright, so what happens a lot so I'll just explain what happens in the chapter first. So the first thing that happens is that Vin learns that her her little puppers that she thought was her conjure or sore actually turns out to be Zane's conjure half past nine name. <laughs> Half past nine. His name is Half Past Nine. Thanks. <laughs> so she learns that Half Past Nine is actually Zane's Chandra. And what ends up happening is Half Past Nine gives her a, a really subtle signal about how she can do something. And so she's like, oh, right. If I burn Ralaman and. It's either zinc or brass. I don't remember which. I figured it out at one point. I think brass. 
she burns duralumin in brass, she can do something. So she does that at at half past nine, and she ends up being able to take control of Tandra and see things from kind of kind of like from his eyes and and control his body. So she walks half past nine over to her so that she can cut him open to get the uh get the atmb that she had uh put in there and he and, does sort of request that she does this yeah he's definitely he's going out of his way to help her out and you know she does so she gets the atmb she follows it she burns it and she wins the fight no i wish that's what happened what happens is she burns the atm and you know in a millisecond the ATM runs out, and she's like, oh, that was a pretty sizable bead. Why'd that burn out so fast? And Zane's like, hi, you thought I'd give you real ATM? That was just a, a golf ball that was gilded with ATM. And she is just like, oh, now, she, now she's done for. Zane has ample supply of ATM, and now she has to fight him without ATM, and she just wins anyway. She tries to draw upon the power of the mist, which don't come to her aid. So, you know, I give credit where it's due or you don't want to rely on the same, you know, tricks every time. But just, like, we just, we have no reason to believe that Vin should have won this fight. This whole I don't have ATM has been a huge issue throughout the book and presented as this insurmountable obstacle. And then we get to the point and it just doesn't matter. She just wins anyway. Uh, so there's a very clear sequence of events that happens though that allows her to succeed it's right not like and i pu- and i posted the win. picture i posted the picture of bender's conversation with god from an episode of futurama yeah do you know yes, what i'm did. gonna do before you do it yes what if i do something different then i don't know that and that's yeah. how atm works kids <laughs> you if you do something different they won't know ATM is not does not make you omniscient. Alright, I have something for this that I'm gonna get into in spoiler territory. Dave, after book three, ask me about this again and we'll go over it then. <laughs> Alright, so let me is actually Is there anything you wanted to tell him, Mike, or are we we not hanging out? Well, I'm gonna actually read off some of the rant that I actually wrote down. So I really loved most of chapter forty seven. And 95% of it was the best chapter I'd ever read from Sandra. It's full of action. We have, we resolve the Chandra mystery. We get more revelation about relationships between characters, between Vin and Zane, and between Vin and her Chandra that she thought was Orsor, but it turned out to be Tensoon. Zane died. It builds the lore of the world. We get to find out how the Mistborn were controlling the Chandra. And then we get OP Vin. The whole ATM thing was this insurmountable obstacle. Then Vin just wins. And there is an even better example of Vin, our heroine, overcoming an obstacle in this very chapter. The fact that Vin learns that her puppy is her enemy's Chandra is a huge deal. That's a big obstacle. But it's resolved rather quickly. But we as readers, we understand that she has been overcoming this obstacle for some time by building a real bond with Tensoon. And, you know, the re- reader knows that she's been building the bond with Tensoon. And honestly, I was first, I was, it's a little sidetrack. I was kind of sad that Orsor was dead 
but then because what happened was Tensoon ended up killing Orsor and taking over his body. And I was sad that Orsor was dead, but, you know, the pupper conjure that we loved has been Tensoon all along. So, you know, I don't really miss Orsor that much. I don't, so we don't I, really, I, know, I we don't really about, know him well enough. I want to talk about Tensoon. Okay. Um, Let me finish up. Nine. What? Oh, yeah. Half past nine. nine. It was really hard for us to not say Tensoon. Yes, every time we were talking about poor sir, air quotes, we had oh, to remember wow. to say. We had to make sure mentally. When <laughs> I had my cast list, I was super worried because I put or seer in quotes on my cast list. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if you noticed. I fixed it later on when I realized what I did because I just copied my notes. I didn't even like, edit it. No. Oh, man, if Dave saw that, why is it in quotes? <laughs> I'm like, crap. So it's like like stuff like that or making sure we just call That's him Puppy. Yeah, we were like, consciously having to call him Pupper the whole time because we couldn't keep the name straight. I mean, the whole Orzor was like sort of <laughs> funny. That, that, it helped. <laughs> it did help. and I'm like, we could jokingly say that, but yeah, we, we of course, are waiting for this moment. Okay. So I have okay. I have a couple of things real quick. First yeah, off. More, I have more rant. I know. We'll get to it. Alright. So Orsur was a jerk. Yes. Like, like every time you see him, every interaction he has with Vin, he's a butthole. Um and then Ten Soon, like as soon as we get like good Condra interactions, it's all Ten Soon. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause you you could tell Orsir's like he's grudgingly following the contract that he has with Vin. Uh if you just look at the human characters I mean, it's like two scenes or something like that that Orsir actually exists in this book. And it's like, he's not, he's not a good person or character to be around. He's just sort of like, I hate, like, you can tell he really hates doing this. And the moment Tensoon pops up, he's neutral, but he's willing to work with Vin. And then That's he just why gets I don't miss Orsir. <laughs> I love Tensoon all along. It's true. You need to fix your, <laughs> your thing. Your favorite character was actually Tensoon, not Orsir. Um, if you go back also to like right before you're told to start looking for the Chondra, you get a whole chapter full of clues about who the Chondra actually is. Yeah, it's like chapter seven or eight. Like I always want to go back and reread stuff like when I'm halfway through a book. We we talked about it during the spoiler section of that episode about all there are so many clues in like that first chapter that you could just tell. Like the moment the very first interaction Vin has with Pensoon as a poppy. Uh, there's like so many, the way he talks and the things he says, it's like this clue that he's actually, you know, he's, he's not worse here. Like you could just tell all of these things or like, yeah, like, like you one noticed the, the one that he says to Vin is, uh, Oh, I forgot to tell you that the fur would take a long time. And she's like, you did tell me, but yeah, at the they're time, they're still hostile like, to each other at the time. So, yeah, she didn't like him, so it's like sort of forgets that. And and you noticed it recently where there was that talk about Vin had with Tensoon, where where she's like, "Did you ever have them preach like about the the flowers and the the blue sky thing?" And it's like, "Did you ever do that?" And the way he answers is, "Of course he didn't, because he didn't actually take on Kelsier's persona back in book one. That was Orsier." So he did a crappy job of assimilating then, because that's usually the kind of stuff that they would go over. But I don't know. No, no, but no, no, he did a quick job. job. 
you never suspected him. Well, that's not true. You actually suspected him briefly once. Um, because you were suspecting everybody. <laughs> that, thankfully, you forgot him in favor of the Doxandra theory. And Dude, it's that like, theory is so good. I was still holding on to <laughs> it's it. It's a good theory, but... <laughs> You okay? That like you have to understand. There was one episode where you're like, maybe it's Orsir, and we were super quiet. We're like, oh crap! <laughs> I remember yeah. that episode. We were so nervous, and then you got distracted. It was so good. It's like, oh man, <laughs> oh man, we almost had it. But anyway, I I really like this Vin overcoming the obstacle of Tensoon being her enemy. Yeah, and. If she she earned that victory over Zane and over this situation, and if she had just gotten the ATM and won the fight with that, it would have been really good. But then Sanderson takes away that victory that our heroine had earned and replaces it with some shallow technicality that Vin can just suddenly figure out how to outplay. And okay. you know, I feel like she survived a situation that she shouldn't have been able to escape. Now I have trouble believing Vin's going to have any limitations in future conflicts, and it would have been just played out really well if she had just gotten the ATM. And then I also wrote, final line, unless the mists or some other supernatural force actually empowered Vin to win, and we just don't know yet. So I will say we have stuff to discuss in the spoiler section. So, yeah, uh, about this, about this scene. Not about Tensoon. Well, maybe about Tensoon. But. So, just a couple real quick points that I did also want to touch up on. It, it's not okay for Chandra to kill humans, but Tensoon can kill another Chandra, apparently. Yes. That's, oh, that is that correct. seems bad. That's weird laws. It's in the contract. The other Read thing the is that Tensoon. But the other thing is this Tensoon actually refers to. His contract, my contract, and that I think is the first time he uses a, a possessive pronoun with the contract. So maybe there are, maybe there is like the general social contract and the individual contracts. And then the other thing I wanted to touch up on real quick was as Zane is dying, this, this voice in his head that he calls God tells him that he's not crazy. And, you know, for, for one, I mean, from one thing, it's from Zane's perspective, so maybe he just is crazy and his voice is telling him that he's not crazy, but we also do have a lot of mysterious things happening with, like, the pages missing and uh, and also, you know, Vin and Elendi hearing this thumping or whatever that's apparently emanating from the Well of Ascension. So, I don't know, it could be actually be some supernatural thing, but... It's anyway. a voice in Zane's head. Are you going to believe that? <laughs> I don't I hate Zane. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to close on saying my whole problem with chapter 27 and the one theory that chapter really 47. just wraps. I'm sorry. Chapter 47. I have one theory that just completely ties everything up in a neat little package. And that is. Zane is just really inept. That's my theory. <laughs> um, so, so for your benefit, Dave, uh, I will point out that this is not the climax of the book. We definitely have more things there to come. two parts left, two entire parts. Exactly. So, yeah. so just because it might seem like Vin's story is sort of cheapened based on 
how this came about, realize that that this is only a step towards the overall story of the book. So, and it's only book two of a trilogy. Yeah, I understand. Something. It's just like there's probably stuff that I don't know, but at this point, it just like a cheap win. Well, book two of a trilogy. And book two of an overall 13-book planned Mistborn series? At the time, it was only going to be, what, ten books? Nine. It was supposed to be right. a trilogy well, of trilogies. Well, it was going to be nine plus, plus the interlude. Well, Wax and Wayne wasn't planned yet. I, th- I thought he... I don't no, know, he just sort of wrote it as, as like a writing exercise to clear his head that got out the of control. The point is, there was going to be three trilogies, and we got more. Yeah, the Wax and Wayne stuff was never intended to be part of that. So we went from 9 to 13. Yeah. And there may be more after that. I don't know. But don't don't worry about that, Dave. For all you know, there's just three books. <laughs> I mean, he's allowed to know that other books exist. Am I? It's not, it's not that bad. Before that matters. <laughs> <laughs> no. Poor Dave. All right, Dave, Poor we have a lot of spoiler stuff to talk about. Man, so if you're done, then we need to get rid of you. No, 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 we have to talk about chapter 48. Talk okay. about chapter it. They 48. They get married, and they, even though they got married, they okay. have rest. So, so, I have some questions. Well, Seizet has this this internal monologue about how he made up a bunch of stuff, presumably about interpreting of the Hero of Ages legend, possibly even just made up this whole religion that he married, uh, that he uh, married Vin and Ellen to under, but Frankly, it doesn't. In my mind, it doesn't really matter. Even if he did make up that religion, they're still married because Sazed has the authority to officiate a wedding in in the laws of the land where they exist. So, I, I in my mind, they are legitimately married, even if Sazed makes up. So, are 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 you okay? So, I have some questions for you, but first, I want to clarify: Chapter forty eight, they get married, as you mentioned, uh, and they have decided Ellen Vin. Tind- uh, Tindwell and Spook will be leaving, correct? Yeah, yes. Okay. So I think we should at least mark that. Um, but I have some questions for you. One, so who's the Chandra? Uh, half past nine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, no, it's the same question we've been asking you. Who's the, who do you think is the Chandra now? And now you know. Um, oh, the other thing is the fact that a Chandra killed another Chandra, it, it really does, it wraps up the whole, well, if, if so-and-so is a Chandra, who's the accomplice? That, that's, that got answered, which is pretty cool. I like yeah. It. Oh, and I just want to mention, just it, as a general thing, like, the, the Sander, if, if this is the Sanderson gotcha of this book, I'm much more satisfied with it than I was with Elantris and with, uh, and with Mistborn. Even though looking back and rereading the part of Mistborn where he sets you up for the gotcha, it it wasn't as grievous as Elantris, but this was a more satisfying gotcha than the other poets. Define the gotcha. What do you mean by it? Well, in book one, in in Elantris, the gotcha was, oh, uh, Yadith was going to come and kill everybody anyway, which is entirely bullcrap. And if you go and read the letter with the intention of trying to interpret that meaning, meaning it, it, you can't do it. And the gotcha in Mistborn is when he uh, he tries to convince the reader that Marsh is dead based on the reactions of the other characters and their reactions, understandable. But then when you go back and read the part where he they supposedly found him, 
the head was completely crushed and the corpse was unrecognizable. So that was like, all right, Sanderson, whatever, you got me, but I'm still not happy about it. But this one's like, you know what? Okay. I I'll, I'll, okay. I'll like I like this gotcha. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, so so what do you think about, you know, Tensoon being the, the spy Chondra? Like, what are your thoughts based on, like, everything you've read, their search for, looking for him, and and that sort of thing? Like, do you have any thoughts about him What's actually that? being, um, and Tensoon being a part of the crew, yet being a spy? I don't know, man. At the end of the day, he proved himself loyal to Vin, so I Girl, like him. We do like Puppy. Yes. <laughs> um, I had another question for you, and now I don't recall. It was about, I don't know. So, so wh- where do you think things are going now? now? Now that we know, we've at least resolved one of the plot lines. Oh, oh, are you happy now that Vin has married Ellen? I am ecstatic. And Zane I've, is dead. I am, I am euphoric that Zane is dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! If they, if they had like wind up together, you would have been so upset. I literally would have punched my book, and I would have taken a picture of it. And I, I do also like the fact that you know Vin. I don't like that she starts to go with Zane, but as soon as she does, she realizes that it's wrong. Good on you, girl. Yeah. I mean, she's still like, you know, she's still a teenager. It's like, what, 18 in this, in this book? It's like, you know, she has that early emotional, like, teenager hormone thing going on. Yeah, it happens. You're undecisive. Not not saying, like, girl, like, it's like, you know, any teenager, boy, poor girl. It's just that. Um, but yeah, so that she finally married Ellen. So that's good. We got our our power couple. So, do you have any thoughts about where the story's going to go from now? Now that we resolved at least the Chandra subplot, uh, we still have, of course, the Kolos army and Straff outside. But Straff no longer has his knife. So, like, what's 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 the plan? What's going to happen? What do you think? I think that Straff is going to get cocky and actually go in too early. And well, as far as the next where the story's going. The next part is called Snow and Ash. So I assume they're going to the Well of Ascension. Um, but, you know. Okay. I, I stand by Kolos, terrorize everybody, and Vin, Vin will get a Buster Sword at some point in this <laughs> book from a Kolos and right. use it to use it to kill Kolos in the next book. Only because your cover has spoiler alert. <laughs> Buster sword. Well, it's not a sword. Isn't a spoiler until you realize that it's a coloss sword. Right, right. Until you think about, it, you're like, wait, that's the sword they carry around. That's yeah. where that's from. <laughs> that's not too bad. I mean, the other thing is that the cover of the third book literally has Vin standing over the corpse of a coloss. <laughs> Ever. All right, let's get rid of Dave. Let's go to spoilers. We're already at an hour. Okay. All righty, have fun, guys. Alrighty. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Boy, oh boy. Let me pop the uh, spoiler alert up. There we go. All right. 
So, the... What was I going to say? I was going to say something. Dang it. Oh, yeah. The the ATM thing. Craig, why don't you give me your version? We talked about this already. So, so, so you, you want to jump right into first? it. You want to talk right directly why we believe Vin was successful. Because I don't think it's as easy as she just wins because Vin is awesome. So uh, I'm going to read a bit from the spoiler chat. Let me, let me find the what I posted. So uh, I so my interpretation is mostly taking what information was given to us in the book. We already know Vin is a very gifted allomancer. Like she is weirdly gifted with keep in mind that compared to the uh, allomancers from like a thousand years ago, she doesn't have as much raw power. And of course we see this in book three when, when Ellen actually is basically at full power, but she is very skilled. She's, she's a, she's an expert. She's a professional when it comes to using allomancy. So like this is her life. And even though she's only been doing it for a couple of years, already she's shown to just be so much more gifted compared to like Kelsier when it's doing uh, pushes and pulls. And and that was Kelsier's, you know, forte. Like even and she's able to just use the other uh power. So given that she is a super like like think of it like an athlete as I um equated it to like if you look at someone who's a professional athlete, uh, their level of skill is just so much ahead of any amateur who would pick that sort of thing up. So, uh, well, let, let, so let me let me continue reading my point. So, yeah, she's really good at allomancy. She understands almost innately how the metals work, um, and she can take the limited amount of power she has yet use it to like its full effectiveness. Um, I feel like ATM just gets a bit of a, a a sort of connotation that is just an insta win button. Like Swallow Mistborn uses ATM, they're gonna win. But that I feel like it's 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 not an instant win button. Like okay, it makes you better about interpreting the shadows that you see, so you can be a, a couple seconds ahead. But you can still screw up. You can still make mistakes. And I think Zane is just the sort of person who gets complacent. Like, that's just, he's, he's cocky. Like, he, he knows that he's very skilled. Um, he sort of, I guess, takes for granted his misbornness. And then Vin comes along. And honestly, Vin is a much better misborn than Zane is. Like, in my opinion, Vin is the top. So, I think there's a bit of that. And he just sort of assumes I have ATM. She doesn't. I'm just going to win. And you don't even have to try. So I think a part of it is he just doesn't really try. He just assumes it's going to win. And that's because the connotation at the time is that ATM is just an instant win. And then my my third point is exactly how she did it, which is basically she used Zane's reactions against him, like seeing where his eyes go um, and just interpreted that action and was able to course correct based on that information because it's not that he like he had the information and just had to follow the shadow his eyes essentially acted so so in book three we get electrum as a sort of a can it cancels out atm but the way it actually cancels atm is because it shows your future self 
And therefore, since you can see what you're going to do in the future and how it's going to end in a result with someone burning ATM, you can course correct it. Electrum basically works the same way that Vin works at this particular scene in this chapter. She sees Zane's quick reaction at following her shadow rather than following her. And then she's able to use that information and change what she's going to do. And I equated as someone as a like a professional athlete or like an MMA uh, like a, a athlete or a boxer or something where you can sort of see what your opponent is about to do. Just that sort of like their muscle, the the twitch or their eye, just seeing where they're looking like you can just sort of like it's a very brief moment. And I, I'm sure they've talked about it. I don't have any examples on hand, but just being able to react in that sort of situation. Vin is that sort of athlete and she's able to take that information because all, all he does is his eye follows where she's going to be. And then she's able to use that information. So basically, my interpretation is, I don't think it's any Dusex Machina type stuff. Uh, I think it's as presented, Vin is just that good. All right. Tori, do you have an interpretation of this? Uh, no, I do not. I, I just kind of read it and said, oh, that's cool how that fight scene played out. And I uh, did not think about it to the level of detail that you guys did <laughs> all right then uh are you both sitting down and are you wearing socks because i'm about to knock your socks off oh man okay well let me put socks on so you can knock them off all right atm as presented is an instant win button it's not what people decide to do it's what people are going to do there is no fooling atm Vin not making a decision shouldn't have had that effect. What I think is actually happening is we know Ruin can access both of them because they're both spiked. What I think happens is Ruin implants a subtle suggestion in Vin's mind during this fight to try the move that she's going to try. And then when Zane goes to stab right at that crucial moment, he gives him a a visual hallucination of a second Atium Shadow and just sort of rolls the dice. So so you're saying uh, Zane saw Ruin making a shadow. Yep. And that's what he was looking or reacting to. Exactly. And that he gave now, Vin the idea to try this. And and it it is mentioned, I think, from his perspective that he saw a second shadow for a moment. Yeah. But that my interpretation was that was just her reacting to his reacting to her shadow. See, the thing is, the way ATM works is a couple of seconds before Vin even made the decision to, you know, go left instead of right, the ATM should have told uh, Zane what she was going to do. Like, it doesn't matter that she hasn't made up her mind at that point. It matters that she has made up her mind in the future. And it's sort of retroactive. Okay, so I mean, I think there, there's definitely a valid point there. Um, I, I do want to point out that we're talking about ATM here, who, which is literally the body of Ruin. Like, this is a thing that they're current, well, he's currently burning. Um, which I think is relevant to your point. Uh, not to mention that they're both spiked, as you mentioned. And, and Vin is wearing her earring at this point, so it's not like she's not spiked. 
at this point in time. She is, and we've already seen Zane's spike. Right, and her earring being in at this point does counter uh, Dave's final, like, this would make this not be dumb of what if she's just channeling the mist somehow, because we know she isn't because she's got her earring in. Yeah, and I think Sanderson does a good job in making sure that doesn't just also become her insta-win button that she keeps trying to channel the mist and it doesn't work. Like, it, it happens, it's brought up enough that it becomes more of a plot point rather than a plot convenience. But regardless, we're not talking about that right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely think there's a good valid point that, hey, maybe this was Ruin, because, you know, Ruin needs Vin right now. She needs to get to the well, uh, release the power so he can be free. So, uh, Ruin, you know, he's all for screwing, killing people, screwing people's lives up, but he needs Vin. So he's going to take steps to make sure Zane is uh, is not successful because he doesn't need Zane to do that. I don't know what he needed Zane to do because he was spiked for a while. He's always Ruin has been whispering to Zane to kill everyone because that's just what he does. And he's sort of a weak power at this point because he's still trapped. So all he can really do is like, yeah, I just want people dead. So the impressions he get is kill people. But he's going to make sure he doesn't say that for Vin, which is why the voice is quiet when Vin is around. So an additional point for this theory, I believe. Uh, so number one, if we were going to get any sort of confirmation or denial of anything going on here, we would have gotten it in this trilogy, and we didn't. So we don't, we aren't ever going to have any resolution on this. But with that in mind, I think that my interpretation is the more interesting one, which then I feel like makes it better. <laughs> wow. I, I don't think this is a competition. Um, oh, it definitely is, but, and you're uh, losing. For <laughs> you, I think we need to ask Tori, because, you know... Oh, no, don't drag me into this. <laughs> I, I I mean, you're, you, you, she's not biased, whereas you are. <laughs> so, uh... I'm so, completely unbiased as to how good my fun I theory is. In order to determine how valid your theory is, we really have to figure out exactly what ATN is showing. Like, we know it shows the future, but does it show intent? So that's sort of like, does someone have to make a choice? Because in, in the novel, in this part of the story, Vin clears her mind. So she's she thinks it's based on active choice, that you make a choice, and it happens. Um, so she clears her mind and just reacts to Zane's Specifically his eyes, not even his action. Because I think if she reacted to his action, uh, it would have, like you said, resulted in just her shadow. Like, Was if, if that it, she cleared her mind. Yeah. And then her... And, and she was fighting on instinct, and her instinctive reaction was that she should go this way, and so at the last minute she chose to go the other way. So Zane was seeing and reacting to the ATM shadow of her instinctively going that way, and then suddenly okay. there's another shadow of her going the other way. Right. Second decision to go the other way made a second ATM shadow. Not based on decision because the first ATM shadow was her responding instinctively not making a conscious decision. Okay. So I, I think it, it it really depends on what ATM is actually showing. 
Like, what is it actually doing? And honestly, how does it relate to everything we know about the magic system right now? Because I don't, I don't, it's not, it's not a standalone here. It, everything seems to come back to the, the, the basic, the building blocks, I would say, of investiture, like connection, identity, that sort of thing. They all seem to always come back to that. And I think in some way that ATM can, um, be based on that, but I don't. I don't think we know enough. Well, I unfortunately, think... the only person who has ATM in the Wax and Wayne series is Marsh, so we don't even know. So I, I think that ATM is definitely tapping at least a little bit into Fortune to give okay. you that, that like limited future sight, but not Maybe. very much, obviously. Right, and I. And so yeah, that's the whole. Like, how do you look into the future? What does that do? That, I think, is is the biggest question. And we still have that question because I think it's related to everything else. We get that in the Stormlight Archives when um, uh, Taravangian, what's his name? Taravangian. 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 Like, he has his whole diagram. Like, he wrote that and they is looking a bit into the future in order to for him to have developed that. So we have a bit of it. Like, we have a lot of looking into the future. Cultivation must have done that so she was able to set up Dalinar correctly. Like, it's like we know certain shards look into the future. We know people have looked into the future. But what does it actually mean to look into the future? Like, what is that in the Cosmere? I think that's the big question. Well, and we I actually think- get a, a pretty good chunk of it with Endowment and the Return in okay. uh, Warbreaker. Yeah, yeah, we have the they do get a brief look and which is why apparently they decide to come back because they had a, a glimpse of something in the future. So, all right. What else do we have to talk about aside from this? Yeah. Um, so I did want to talk about some of the things Dave brought up. It's funny that he mentioned maybe there's time travel because there is, except it's just changing the flow of time rather than actual time travel. But eventually we do get, time travel in Mistborn Era 2. So that's funny. I, I thought that was funny, that he's just picking things out of the air, and that just happened to be somewhat correct. Oh, And of um, course, the Steel Inquisity thing about, he yes. noticed Zane's spike, and that is super important, and it will make sense to him once he reads Book 3. Yes, and, making the connection I, I between know. a spike and a Steel Inquisitor is is very big. Well, the the fact that he Sounded notices kind of steel inquisity, yeah, like yeah, steel inquisitor is different, but the fact that he notices a spike and it's the information's going to become uh more prevalent in book three as we talk about hemallergy because that's the theme of book three. Um, so I don't know if he's going to notice Vin also has a spike. That's the big question: Is he going to notice the earring? But, hey, he noticed that there was a spike in Zane. It reminded him of a Steel Inquisitor. I think that's a good step because that's that's pretty valid. That is definitely a hemallergic spike. And kudos to Dave for at least noticing that and putting a connection there. Um, so, yeah, so you talked about that. He talked about the time travel. We were able to actually talk to him about Tensoon finally, which is cool. Because uh, it's been a long time. and. I think he's going to like book three because we actually get some uh, Tensoon perspectives in that book. And at least that will help 
because I know we keep talking and joking about this whole contract thing, and we're gonna get more information about the contract in book three. And uh, just for those of you who are listening, there technically is multiple contracts. There's one first contract, which is the contract between the Lord Ruler and the Chandra. Uh, but there's also a subcontract that is like written out between the Chandra and whoever is purchasing them for their time. And it's framed after the first contract. And, and the Chandra always have to follow the first contract. But they also ha- might have separate rules for their sp- particular contract that they get. Uh, when they go up to the surface or whatever it's called for them. I still have some issues with with Tensoon. Tensoon's explanation for why he's leaving at this point. Zane shouldn't have had his contract. Um, Lord Venture, Straff Venture, should have had his contract. And according to Ellen, he did, like, the whole time. However, okay. Tensoon should still have gone back to the homeland because Vin figured out how to mind control him, and that's important, and that should have been his explanation. Not, oh yeah, my master's dead. No, he's not. Zane isn't your master. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Straff might have transferred the contract over to Zane. We don't know that. He he might have just said, okay, Zane, this this Chandra contract is in now your your name. Because, like, Kelsier transferred the contract over to Vin. So why At not his death? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean it has to be on death. Does Straff strike you as a generous dude? No, I don't think that would be generous. That's more of like this is a tool, and I don't want to bother using it right now. So I'm gonna my other tool, which is his assassin, can have control of his spy tool. Okay, I, I'll admit it sounds a little flimsy and outside of something Straff would do. Maybe. Maybe it's just sort of a convenience. Um, but we know that the real reason uh, Ten Soon acts the way he does is because he feels like Vin is the Lord Ruler's heir because of, of how she killed him and the power that she has, especially, you know, what she does at the well. Like, he sees her as the new inheritor of the first contract. So he has to do what she says. Because that's who the first contract is with. That's See. his interpretation. And the second gen is like, no, you're wrong, and we're jerks, and we're just not going to listen to you. It's, See, I don't gen. think he comes up with that until after he's imprisoned in the Condra, in the Condra homeland. Okay. Well, he knows something is up. Like, Vin can k- take control. Like, he might not know what Duralamum is, but Vin can take control of Condra like old. Which is something they didn't have to worry about. For ye- aside from the Lord Ruler, no one else had that power from their perspective. I'm so, I'm talking about specifically Vin being the the heir of the Lord Ruler. I don't yeah, think he yeah, came I up know. with that until after he was in after he was imprisoned. I think at that point he like talked himself into believing it, but I don't think he went back to the homeland with that in mind. Well, so yeah, my point is he knows something is up, and maybe he feels the need to go back to the homeland. So he can give them that information. Like All he right. says as much and he's ready to turn himself in because he also feels like he broke his contract with Straffs slash Zane. Because he let them die. So originally he's going back to just do that. And then later on, he sort of has that epiphany of, of what it actually means. And maybe she's the heir to the Lord, heir to the Lord ruler and there's a whole big thing, and we'll talk about it when book three hits. Um, 
But at this point in time, yeah, maybe he just feels like he sort of broke his contract and needs to go back. All right. Tori, do you have any other points? Otherwise, I think I'm going to go ahead and call it here. Well, nothing related to this week's reading, but I was going to tell you guys about that thing last week. Okay, do the thing. There's a thing? Yeah, remember I said I had something special to share with you guys? Oh, that's right, and then we couldn't talk about it because it was a spoiler-ish for us. And now, now it's here. It is time. But, I mean, I could put it off till next week. No. The episode's running a bit long. No, no, no. no. I'm specifically giving you an opportunity here because Craig and I have been going on and on for a while. And also, Mike's going to cut like 15 minutes of this episode anyway. (laughs) I made a diagram of the podcast, you guys. You actually made it? Yeah. Okay. For real. So, based on the number of episodes we've done so far and how many chapters were in each of those episodes and the average number of pages that we covered in each of those chapters while we were doing those episodes, I know how many episodes we will need for the rest of the podcast to get through the rest of the Cosmere stuff. This is crazy. It is crazy. It is. I'm very (laughs) excited by this. No, I told you. I woke up the other day and I was smarter than I normally am and it all just came to me and I wrote it all over the walls. And um, so and we already know that we're going to read. Yes, we already know that we're going to finish Well of Ascension in the next uh, four episodes because we've got three more episodes worth of chapters and an overview. And then from there, we're going to start Hero of Ages. And sure. that's going to take... Like, 20 episodes. I have an exact figure. It's written down in here. Anyway. Probably something in the 20 to 20, or no, actually less than that, because we're on book three now. Right. And and from there, we're going into Warbreaker, and then we've got Wave Kings, and then after that, anyway, we're, we're following the publication schedule, and, and, and it proceeds at the rate of one episode a week. We would end up finishing with White Sands Volume 2 sometime in April of 2022. Except wow. we don't record every week. We don't record every week. We actually, uh, considering that we have been recording for 50-something weeks and we have recorded 40-something episodes, I mathed it out. And it actually looks like that we skip a week for every three weeks that we, re- we record, except every seven weeks, then there's a fourth week in there that we don't skip. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like a leap year for recording. It is. It's like a leap year, except leap it's every year. seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, so if we follow that math, then we would actually finish White Sands Volume through Volume 2 sometime in April of 2023. Oh, but a full year if you've later? Looked at, yes. If you've looked at the state of the Sanderson address for the past four years, which I did, and looked at what he projected he was going to finish versus what he actually finished and compare that to his upcoming plans, which by now some of those are in the past, then we can guess that he is going to finish, well, White Sands Volume 3 is going to come out sometime this year. And from there, he's going to start working on Stormlight Number 4. Which he already has because, started working on. Yes, he's already started working on it, and he says that when he's between books four and five, he's going to be working on Wax and Wayne number four. 
estimate, based on how long it took Oathbringer to get edited and published after he finished it, I'm going to guesstimate that we will get Wax and Wayne number four before we get Stormlight number four, even though he's going to write them the other way around. So, anyway, just based on my projections, guys, we will end up with Wax and Wayne 4, Stormlight 4, Elantris 2, and then Stormlight 5. By the time we catch him up to where Sanderson is. Well, there will be more Sanderson by then. I don't know. The diagram didn't go that far. Maybe the world (laughs) ends. Okay, so we're going to get essentially Oathbringer and the White Sand stuff by April 2023. So we're set for like four years, is what you're talking Uh about. Yep. And then and, Dave and will if finally my... catch up to us then, except by then, we're going to be ahead because we're going to have, like, multiple Cosmere Ball. Yeah. And and if my projections hold up, then we're good through Stormlight number five, uh, which will take us up to New Year's of 2025. <laughs> wow! Does your diagram take into account... Brandon accidentally writing extra books like he did with Bands of Mourning. No, it doesn't. It also doesn't take into account any of the short fiction, because when I was looking at Arcanum Unbounded and comparing, you know, when all of the short stories were published versus when we actually got to read them versus, you know, it, it was it was too complicated. We can't predict the short fiction. And we do take uh, one episode per short fiction in my diagram. Uh, at least some of them, uh, when I looked at the number of pages involved, it looked like they'd probably be two. Yeah, that um, is definitely not going to hold for something like Edge Dancer. Yeah, or Emperor's Soul. That's not going to be too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many pages it is, but I feel like it's a longer story. It is a longer story. Um, so if you look at the episodes we've already done. And you look at how many chapters they were and how many pages those chapters were. We average about 39.6 pages per episode. Okay. So all of my projections are based on aiming at a figure close to 40 pages per episode. Jeez. Yeah. Gonna be Which well, means, yeah, we're going to spend like a year on each of the Stormlight books. No, we are not. We're going to spend 24 episodes on each of those. Which, you know, taking into the taking into account the, the leap year for recording, then it it might run close to a year. Here, let me look at my projected calendar for Way of Kings. My projected calendar <laughs> I for go Way of Kings. This. Wait, after we, so we're doing what? We're doing uh, Warbreaker next. I want to see how accurate we are when we right. finally finish Warbreaker. No, I think we need to look at this between every book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. We have to look okay. at your schedule. Update the diagram time. whenever you have another day of genius. Yes. We, we need to recruit uh, people for your diagram to maintain it as, as things change over time. <laughs> also, kill down so, our colon. Uh, looking at my diagram, when we finish Warbreaker and we start Way of Kings... If we are totally on top of things and we do actually record every week, then our first episode of Way of Kings will happen on December 8th of this year. Oh, wow. Wow, that's really soon. Yeah, since we're not on top of things and we often miss weeks, we're looking more closely at February 23rd of next year. Wow. I don't know. We've, We've been better about recording regularly lately. 
we have been better. So probably the real date is somewhere between those two. And by the way, that will be episode 86 of our podcast. We will finish Way of Kings with an overview episode, which will be episode 109, somewhere between May 27th of 2020 and September 27th of 2020. And does this count the episodes where we're like a summary of the overall book like we did with Elantris? Yes, the overviews. Uh huh. Yeah, I included an overview for all of them. Uh, and for some of the longer stories, they have an overview as well. Like Emperor Soul, for example, is uh, only about 85 pages. So I know it's a really long story, but giving us 40 pages per episode. Um, so I mathed it out as one episode for the first half, one episode for the second half, and then one episode to be overview and cast list. Oh, oh that's good. Right. I like that. Yeah, and I did the same for Mistborn Secret History, I believe. Um, let's see, where was Edge? Secret Dancer History, I didn't here? remember being that long. Edge Dancer is real long, like really, really long. Edge Dancer is a significant chunk of uh, Arcanum Unbounded, but I think uh, so and Emperor Soul were the other two big ones. So Edge Dancer was about the same size as Emperor Soul. Okay. I remembered it being longer. Weird. So, yeah, it's only 20 chapters, so I mapped it out as 10 chapters per episode. Uh, so, yeah, it starts on page 539 and it goes to page 671, which, um, now we could make it one episode longer, um, because I actually broke the, uh, 40 page rule there, uh, because I thought it fits so neatly into two. So, to go through chapters 1 through 10, that's about 60 pages. And then 11 to 20 is another 55 pages. But if we went to 40 pa- if we stuck to 40 pages, it'd be three episodes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to come out to three episodes anyway, because overview and cast list. So what you mean is four episodes. Maybe I do. Yes. Well, we'll figure it out when we get there, and then we'll see how accurate you are, yep. but... I yeah. still think I'm both impressed and a little scared that you did this, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's cool. You, Are you, you starting you a secret your... society, and can yes. I join it? I actually am starting a secret society, but you can't join it. You're not qualified. I, I don't want to be in it. I oppose <laughs> all diagram societies. No, it's not based on the diagram. I just I just happen to coincidentally be starting a secret society. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Do we have a running tally on the number, or yeah. on, like, the total number of secret societies on Roshar? Oh, gosh. They, they... Well, we'll have to keep one when we start Way of Kings. Yeah, we will. I think every now and then on the Stormlight Archives Reddit and Cosmere Reddit, they'll they'll bring that up because there's a lot of secret societies doing their own thing. I don't, I, I don't even, I can't even name them all right now. So, I, I think we'll worry about it when we get to Way of Kings. Yeah, Which is going to be sometime before. between December and February. Basically, within a year, guys, we're going to be starting Way of Kings. I'm really excited to get to start Craig's favorite book of Warbreaker. Mm, second favorite. I still like Mistborn as well. 
Uh, so we'll favorites. be starting Warbreaker sometime between August and October of this year. That I'm excited for, though. Yeah, that is super exciting. We, get to, we can actually talk about Breath. We can talk about Vasher and Vivina, and it's going to be fun. And the I fact also that it's... projected out how long Wax and Wayne number four is going to be by averaging the chapters and pages of the other three. Oh, and gosh. the same with the upcoming Stormlight books I averaged out. Yeah, and I and I even took into account the math where they're getting longer as they go. So um, use Oathbringer guys. as an upper limit for that. I don't think Tor actually has the physical capability of, of binding books bigger than that. Yeah, well a little fudge room's okay. We shall see. We sh- technology is just gonna have to improve. I mean, I, right. I'm pretty sure they worked out a new method of bookbinding just to get Oathbringer made. <laughs> and and they were like, Brandon, you cannot do this again. You have to write shorter books. Yep. All right. I feel like that's a good note to end on. Yep. So, bye, Internet. Bye, bye. Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.